So now we have spent the first day of this retreat, Tamarawati. We had half a day that was quite promising, and half the day that sort of made us realize things are impermanent. <laughs> That's a kind of pattern of life, isn't it? You hope for something, it comes, and then you hope for more, and it goes away. Huh? How many times you notice this pattern? So, I don't have anything in particular. I mean, I've got plenty of topics in mind, but I could choose my pet topic, which is a very ordinary topic in terms, in the sense of um, people consider this topic like almost like beginner's Buddhism, where in fact it is the heart, the central piece of the Buddha's teaching. It's called the Four Noble Truths. In many circles, it's considered uh, not particularly sophisticated or advanced. Yet, for me, having sort of practiced with this um, teaching, mainly, that's the way Ajahn Sumidhu um, transmitted to us the Dhamma through the reflection on the formidable truth and application of the teaching in our, on our path of awakening and liberation, and sometimes he used to kind of assume us, tell a story about how these vulnerable truths were considered as a sort of the beginner's level. The more kind of advanced level would be maybe the Abhidhamma, also like the Paticca the law of dependent origination, which is actually a description of how the first, the second, the fourth, the third, and the fourth noble truths manifest. It's not different. Paticca Samuppada and the four noble truths are interlinked totally. <coughs> so, um, the first noble truth is called Dukkha. And as I said yesterday already, it can be translated as stress, dukkha, suffering, or that which is difficult to bear. I think the translation of Ajantanisaro is very appropriate in our modern world, where the stress is so, the stress level of people's mind is at such a high level, and it's a phenomenon that's rampant, it's just everywhere, people needs all kind of help to keep their mind from going crazy, keep their mind from for, for, uh, bursting with a horrible illness where you get a stroke or you get a heart attack or you get, you have to go into clinics to just survive sometimes, right? And so, um, when the Buddha taught the first noble truth, it's obviously a realization he had that in this world there is no real peace until we can understand what is this quality of human life which is uh, totally embedded in this um, activity of dukkha, our relationship to our life is actually increasing this level of dukkha because we don't know what to do with it. And by dukkha, uh, even though it's called suffering, it's not just the suffering of a painful knees or a miserable mind, it's, it's really the texture of our human life. It's suffering because we're always wanting things to stay when we like them, and we want things to go away when we don't like them. As simple as that, this pattern is so strong. And as I reflected, I realized it is a way of surviving at some level. Mind and body survive by pushing away pain and kind of grasping at pleasure. 
because the mind in a way body and mind needs a certain degree of happiness pleasure and easefulness and so on to survive otherwise he'll just die if he's constantly in pain maybe not physically die but he'll just come to a place where he cannot surmount and he doesn't have the energy it takes just to keep on going if the body is constantly in a state of uh, ill ease, uh, ill at ease, disease, right? So the first noble truth, um, which the chant we <coughs> we disc is described in our morning chanting on page nine, I think, and it's interesting how close to us this first noble truth is, even though I said it's more like the texture of life unawakened life that's what it is the, fir the first noble truth is the experience of life when the mind has not awakened to reality to the truth and so on page um um page wait that it's actually in the morning chanting isn't it Not getting what you want is dukkha, getting what you don't want is dukkha. It's on the second half of the chanting, morning chanting. Yeah. So, here we are. Page 11, okay? So, <clears throat> this is uh, the truth of dukkha. It says, birth, jatipi dukkha. Birth is dukkha. Okay. Aging is dukkha. Death is dukkha. And it goes on. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and grief and despair are dukkha. Association with the disliked is dukkha. Separation from the liked is dukkha. Not attaining one's wishes is dukkha. <laughs> Doesn't leave a lot of room for. Happiness, doesn't it? <laughs> In brief, the five focuses of identity, talking about the five khandhas, body and mind, or body, feeling, perception, mental construction, and consciousness is six, six sense on consciousness, and, um, and that's it. So these are... Uh, the description in our daily chant that we um, go through. And you can see how much this is our daily life scenario, isn't it? How many from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, how many times did you didn't get what you wanted? Now, you could almost, you know, fill a, a whole booklet of by the end of the day, didn't get what you wanted. And you got what you did not want. Right? So it's kind of misery upon misery, isn't it? Don't get what you want and you get what you don't want. That message of the Buddha is pretty straight, you know. It doesn't kind of, you know, give you the um, the hope that <laughs> one day everything will be all right. But this is actually the beginning of everything will be all right, you know, by just recognizing the way it is, the way things are. And so, you know, it's quite simple to understand. In brief, the five focuses of identity are dukkha. It's like um, we all we have in our daily human life is this mind and body, okay, with all the qualities and various kind of activities that goes on there with our perception, our thoughts, our feelings, and so on. And... Um, <clears throat> The cause of this, the cause, you know, cause of dukkha, we can actually, maybe I need to say a bit more about dukkha. This, you have a full description there of the first noble truth, right? And I want to repeat that <clears throat> the reason why we have this, we apprehend life in that way, is because we don't know the Dhamma, we don't know the truth of the Buddhist teaching which is really uh, reassuring because it's definitely 
um, rooted in experience. It's not a kind of mystical kind of transmission we got from God or the elders of in the past, or you know, it's actually the experience of the rela- the realization of the Buddha. And it's so simple. You say, why didn't I realize this before? Did I have to wait for the Buddhist teaching? It's amazing, isn't it? How many of us um, kind of suffer because we're not awakened to it? So the difference is one is an unawakened mind and then you awaken. Most people who come to the monastery or feel the dukkha, this word in Pali, dukkha, is a moment of awakening. I'm sure it's a moment of awakening in the women in the women and man's life. It's like suddenly you don't see dukkha, quote unquote, as a problem. You see dukkha suddenly as the possibility of something new, but you don't know yet what it is. Okay, you don't know yet. There's difference. Dukkha that drags you down, and then a dukkha that opens a door. You don't quite know where this door is going to take you. But you are suddenly, without even knowing, you have awakened in a very special moment, you know, to be able to awaken to that truth, which is completely ordinary. Somebody says, you don't get what you want, suffering. Get what you don't want, suffering. We all know that. Even a baby can know that. But to actually come to that place of seeing dukkha as it is, is you need to see it from an awakened mind. So all of us has a, have already this quality of awakening in ourselves. It's not something foreign. It's not you don't have to wait twenty years to get it. Some of us get it just by chance, like that. You know, I wasn't. You know, I had my one of my awakening was on Euston Road. I remember waiting for a bus. And I'd already done a 10 retreat to the Chelsea I thought I'd awaken already, really, quite <laughs> according to my goal. But then the, be- the kind of most um, best moment of that awakening for me on Euston Road when I was waiting for a bus was seeing my mind do sort of carrying on its own story without me being invited to know why it was thinking. I suddenly realized, hey, wait a minute, there's somebody thinking in there. It's not me. Who is that? It was really weird. You know, Euston Road can be really a busy road, as you know. And I actually, when I have driven, I have spent, uh, I, I driven, I, I learned how to drive for quite a number of lessons, but I never drove in the end because, first of all, I forgot my driving test. <laughs> I was quite young. I think I did not want to drive really, but I was I was a bu- I was a busy young woman at the time and I was kind of having lunch with my friends which I hadn't <laughs> seen them for quite a while, even though I had been kind of learning the, the code until about two o'clock in the morning coming back from holiday. And I just decided <laughs> probably unconsciously it was good I never drove because I probably would have been dead a long, long time ago. <laughs> I can tell you. I know myself well enough. I think it was probably some, you know, um, holy forces that held me back. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so this moment of awakening, you know, when you suddenly realize that your mind is doing all kinds of things, you can see it quite clearly and you say, who is doing that? I am not wanting this. I don't want this. I don't do this. Somebody else is actually acting on my behalf. And I just say, I want to know who is doing that. I'm not going to be kind of led by a stranger in me, you know, who I don't want to be led by this stranger, especially when this stranger, for somebody who never drove, I was totally obsessed at the time in watching the design of car. Don't ask me why. I, mean, I like beautiful forms, you know, but suddenly as I was watching on Houston, I was watching the designs of car and commenting on it. There was a car commentator in there. <laughs> that really was even worse, you know. It's like, who is think? I'm not interested in cars. 
I don't want to, to comment on cars. I don't want to do any of that. And it's happening right in front of me, with me. And that was so clear. My mind is not me. My thoughts, at least, are not me, not mine. So it doesn't take a lot of study. It's a, you just get a blessing of the universe somehow to kind of bing. It's like, oh, wait a minute. You get a little bang, bang on the head. This is not you. You don't have to read a lot. Just get it straight away when you're ready. Do you understand? And meditation is that path of readiness to be there when it happens. <laughs> Most of the time when it happens, we're somewhere else. Do you understand? We're not really awake when it could happen. Right? So... um this is really good to know that all of us, at some level, we not we will not be bearing up with bad knees, little sleep, no meal in the afternoon, kind of miserable weather, a kind of dormitory. I mean, how many people, if they really thought about what they want, would want to go to a dormitory? No one. So what is it who is leading you? Ask yourself, what is it who is doing it? Eh? Do you think it's your desires? Is, is this aspiration of your awakened heart that is quite ready to go through a lot of uh, discomfort and, uh, uh, you know, uh, what do you call that, challenges to stay with that quality of awakening? Do you understand? So... Don't ever forget that. You know, don't get too carried away when you don't get it right. Don't swamp your awakened mind into a mountain of criticism and a miserable view on it. Just keep on the celebration going about your awakened heart, your awakened mind. Celebrate it instead of remembering all the suttas that you don't know and criticizing yourself for not having the perfect quotes about the awakened mind. Don't worry about it. It doesn't need a quote. The awakened mind doesn't need a quote. It can live without it. In fact, probably happier. <laughs> it doesn't need to be uh, recognized by uh, the suttas. You, know. you can know yourself now. You can know when you're awake, when you're not. And the cause of suffering is actually threefold, okay? There is a cause of, the first one is the desire for sense pleasures. Don't we like sense pleasures? I come from France. We made sense pleasure into not just a, a good things, but a refined way of living. <laughs> Do you understand? Not only is it not bad, it's beautiful. You can write poetry on this, you can write music on this, you can do all kinds of things. It's recognized as something really beautiful to do, to enjoy the senses and the pleasure of the senses. So, you're lucky. I think England is more austere in that respect. <laughs> Even it looks really awful if you say to people that you really enjoy something terribly. It's just not on, is it, Gwen? <laughs> you just don't share with your friend too much or in social circle how much you love whatever, pizza. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But whatever you love, you know, it's not done so much. So sense pleasure, the first cause of suffering is sense pleasure. The cause of it, okay? The first one is the description. Second is the cause, you know, what causes it. And so sense pleasure, we can... Our, our life is made up of sense pleasure. We're always moving to sense pleasure. That's why we suffer so much. Because the mind doesn't move just one way. <laughs> it moves through the other way. It's like a pendulum. It moves this way for a while, and bing, like an elastic bang, it takes you back to its counterpart. The middle way is the middle there. You see, the middle way, you're working towards just having a perfect balance in the middle there, so that when you actually experience something, you don't have to have 
it's shadows anymore, okay? The bright side, I mean, what we call the bright side and the dark side, you know? The painful side and the happy side. What I want and what I don't want. What I like and what I don't like. It's this pendulum constantly playing in our mind. And the funny thing is that it makes us believe that we're actually in charge. We're just, I wouldn't say victim, but it's happening to us rather than us doing anything. So this is important to take that kind of sense of responsibility out of your picture. It's happening to you. It's happening to us. We think we are doing it. We think we are in charge. Actually, we are not. The only thing that's really in charge is the ability to see things and to transform them and to move towards what is what we call in Buddhism the skillful and the beautiful and the love and, and uh, so on. And let go of its opposite. Right? Let go. Redundant. It's not, we don't need to go back again and again into it. Sometimes we use the, the sewer, you know. We don't need to go back. But yet, until we are balanced, we'll have to bear patiently with the mind constantly feeling like a yo yo. You even just have to think, I'm going to be a good girl from now on. For all kind of scenario to come up and say, are you sure? Look, I must phone this friend. I think we're going to have a party. How about that? You know, it takes very little for the pendulum to shift. I'm going to be on the diet for three months. I did that first years of my... Uh, nun's life I was going to give up chocolate for the Vasa we didn't have much chocolate maybe a few squares a week so it wasn't like a huge renouncement, renunciation really well for two weeks before the Vasa began I had constant reminder that I could kill somebody if I didn't have my chocolate <laughs> you know in, in monastic life we do live a rather intense inner life it's not fun, I can tell you. Everything is intensified. Greed is intensified. Anger is intensified. Doubt is intensified. Everything is intensified. It's like mega. You have to have a good container. You know, if you're not strong, <laughs> you probably die on the way. Right? Everything is increased through the power of meditation, the power of your determination, the power of your willingness to kind of move against the, the, the flow of delusion, you know. You get even more challenge inwardly. So, can you imagine like, giving up three square of chocolates a week and I get this kind of attack, of Mara attack? I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure. I think after a week I will probably hurt somebody or shout at them or go crazy. I mean, no, most of you know that, don't you? You wouldn't smile otherwise. So, but I did spend eventually the Vasa without chocolate, without killing somebody on the way. So this is what the delusion of the mind frightens you with. It's quite amazing. It destroys your confidence, right? So this sense pleasures... We're swimming in it all the time, you know. We like new clothes, new hairstyle, new glasses. We like new food. We like to think about going to Sri Lanka, the beautiful country in the world. We like to renounce um, the thing that makes us miserable. Not in the Dharma way, but <laughs> renounce, you know, sacrifice, <laughs> sacrificing myself, not getting a new clothes, you know. We just like to make ourselves happy in one way or another. A new partner, a new car, new things, just something to be reborn into, you know. So there's nothing terribly wrong with that, you know. What I mean is that we do this happen because we are addicted to be reborn in a happy land. It's just a rebirth, you know. From my perspective, you just reborn a nice thought. You just have to think, I'm going to the beach this afternoon. <gasps> Even if you don't go to the beach, it doesn't matter. The thought itself is just happy. Reborn in the happy land. 
in the heavenly realm to thinking about it. So as monastics, you know, I mean, you can think about it, you can't buy anything, so it's kind of cut short the complexities of the mind and choices and options. You kind of, you know, you don't get the happiness, but you don't get the misery either. <laughs> That's kind of a good balance, you know. You don't have to suffer the drawback of having something that you love going. <laughs> or somebody you loved leaving. Right? So that's the first noble truth. Uh, the second, sorry. So the first aspect, sense pleasure, desire for sense pleasure. And then second is desire for um, becoming. The bhavatanha. Okay? Desire for becoming. So becoming is just what happened in time. You want to be from A to Z, you're becoming. You want to be, maybe you are, you decide to study and you want to become a really good student. Okay? Then after being a good student, you want to be a super good student. And then when that's finished, you get really depressed because you can't be, you get depressed and you just want to do anything. You just want to lie down in bed and take some sleeping pills. <laughs> it's just a brief, simple way of describing becoming and non-becoming, the second and the third cause of suffering. You can see it in your everyday life. Every moment you can see becoming and non-becoming, you know. You want to become happy. Most of our time we want to become happy. We want to get what we want to become happy. You know, that's a kind of pattern, the, the program of the mind. And then in us there's a terrible stress to ref that refuses dukkha. You see? There's a stress that wants to move away from anything unpleasant, anything that, you know, minutely disagreeable. You notice that. Even when we scratch our skin, there's a little bit of a, tw a twitch or something, you know. So It's not like somebody is hitting you on the head and breaking your skull. It's just a little twitch. And immediately you want to get rid of it. <laughs> and the thing that I noticed is that there is a twitch. I've noticed so many times it amazes me. We leave it really the illusion because sometimes... You feel the, the little so the tingling of the, something twitching, or, you know, like, uh, I don't know how you say in English now, something that you want to scratch. Anyway, a little kind of sensation. And actually, when you go to the sensation, there's nothing there. This is really amazes me, just to show you how things are illusory. You know that. There's nothing there. You say, oh, this is strange. I was really feeling I needed to scratch. When I go to that place of scratching, it, it's not there. There's no sensation. So, see, Mara is really creative. as <laughs> its way. And then becoming and not becoming are more difficult sometimes to handle, you know, because the whole life is a becoming process, you know. Even the path of practice is a becoming process. You develop the path. The same word as becoming. You you may despite become something, you know, right up to the end of liberation from all kilesa, all delusion, yeah. It's a development. So this development is very strong in us, but the development in the past has a context of knowing that we're not going anywhere. You need a good teacher to give you the encouragement, keep reminding you we're not going anywhere because the mind says, well, I work all these things, you know, I study, I learn, I put all this effort, I put my media, you know, I, I organize my meditation, I'm not going to become anything, I'm not going to go anywhere. Sort of, for the ego, it's just like a real kind of killer, isn't it? You want to be able to go somewhere and develop and increase in something good, preferably, but then... Actually, in truth, it's true, there's nowhere to go, there's nothing to, you know, there's nowhere to go. What we do in the practice is that we look after the thing that keeps wanting to go somewhere, and we bring it back in the present moment, and when you, well, you bring your attention back into the present moment, and it's gone. It's gone. The thought that goes this way and that way, right and left, you, you kind of become aware of it, and it exists. It's like this little sketchy thing. 
is not there, and the thought disappeared instantly. Quite that you can simply say we will really live in a world of illusion a lot of the time. Our hope for the future, a complete illusion. You could be run run over by a car tomorrow. How can you plan the future? I mean, sometimes we do have to plan. I'm planning my teaching here and there and everywhere. But I still know that I don't need to worry about the future. I do need to do what I have to do. But I don't need to spend my time obsessing with a worried mind, which we do. Can't get away that worry. So I'll go into the five hindrances soon, don't worry. It's part of the list. <laughs> How to live with a worried mind. <laughs> so it's simple like that. Said it like this is very simple. But actually, when you are uh, obsessed with the fear of the future, it's not fun. You know, as you know, it's not fun. It's really painful. Even though you don't want to, but still happen. So, this becoming, and then non-becoming, Ajahn Sumido often reminded us, it's like after this becoming and this kind of hope to become, to, to move into something maybe better or kind of link together with hopefulness and so on, maybe. It happens anyway. Becoming happens anyway. But we get attached to this becoming. You desire to become more or less. You want to control it, in other words. Want to control the becoming process, which is happening anyway. But it can happen in a way that can be very positive, very skillful, and it can happen this becoming in something that's not positive and skillful. You might, for example, break your precepts, all your precept virtue is destroyed. Do you understand? You're becoming somebody who has lost the quality of being a virtuous human being. Right, and then you become a God knows what, you know, a thief, uh, whatever, you know, somebody who is uh, doesn't have any conscience anymore. You know. So, um, and then, no, so this not becoming is the you could say it's right the opposite. You know, it's like what happened when you gone far enough with becoming non-becoming can happen. <coughs> If the desire not to become, you get tired, you get depressed, you get exhausted. You can't have the energy to continue to become something. That's very painful. Many people go through that. And sometimes we blame ourselves not to have the energy to continue to become. But it's not a question of blaming ourselves or not. We Sometimes we do nothing. It's just life is like that. The energy to continue to become something you wanted to be is just not there. There's just a fuel for that. It's gone, run, a, run out of steam. So if you observe this, you never run out of steam because the awakened mind, the awakened consciousness, never runs out of steam, I noticed. It's always ready to face life. Okay, that's what I feel now. Right, let's see what we can do now with that. This is a new, a new thing in me, you know. As you get older, as you get maybe more sick, more this, more that, you know, you people are, you know, sort of come to the place where maybe they don't want to become. They not f want to become young anymore. How many people, older people, want to become young? You see them kind of dancing and singing, and you know, kind of doing a lot of gym and a lot of this and a lot of that to stay young, which is great. I mean, it's good to stay young, as well, as young as you can. But then if you attach to it, then it's very painful because you miss three days on your treadmill and you're in a state, you know. You're depressed for a week after that. Or you see more white hair coming and you say, gosh, I've got to, got to, I've got to paint them again. <laughs> and now the fashion is so clever, you know. Even young people have, I noticed, don't worry, lots of people come, even young people, you probably know that, have like grayish blonde hair nowadays. Look how Mara is clever. It makes the young people like gray, blonde, white hair. Young, 30. It's amazing, isn't it? It's fashionable. 
see the illusion of this life? It's, it's brilliant. It makes me laugh myself. I just find it a wonderful game, you know. That's the mind. That's the human mind is like that. You can believe anything, you know. <laughs> so, and then you have the third one. It's called Niroda. That's the uh, end of Dukkha. You know, I mean, that's the... That's the aspect of the Four Noble Truths that needs to be realized. Satchikatabant. It needs to be realized. It's not something you can just think about. You actually need to know the end of suffering. So this is what you're seeing in your meditation practice through the day. You can notice when you suffer and you can notice when it ends. Okay, that's called Niroda ending, letting go. And that's a same word that can be used for Nibbana as well. Niroda sometimes is a synonym of Nibbana, the end, the peace of non-suffering. So Niroda, cessation, that's the end when you let go. And that's exactly what this retreat is about. You spend 10 days letting go, freeing the heart in at the source of it, in small doses. It's not like extravagant, you know, it's not like something um, that anybody might even see. You might not even see it yourself until you come out and say, I feel different. You know, you have had this insight, maybe some insights into the way Niroda, where Niroda takes you. <coughs> because when you think just of a cessation, it's not a word that's kind of very inspiring, you know, cessation of what? We like birth, you know, we like, yeah, I'm going to become this, I'm going to become that, and, you know, birth. Getting born into a new way of life, a new house, a new cat, dogs, a new whatever. But something new is exciting. Cessation is like, yeah, so what? You know, you don't excite people when you talk about cessation. <laughs> Unless you start talking about cessation of misery. This is what the Buddha's teaching is about. That's the exciting part about the Buddha's teaching. Cessation is really interesting because you, you go into the cessation of misery and dukkha and greed and anger and hatred and all these kind of things. So it's a good news, in other words. And then the fourth noble truth is about the path, Maga, in Pali, the path. So the Buddha was such a compassionate human being, honestly. He could have left us without the path, you know, what would we do? Okay, you've got Dukkha, yes, cause of Dukkha, yes. You could have gone all the way to Niroda, that's what happened when you let go. But no explanation of how to continue our life in daily life. What do we do? As a monk or as a nun or as a lay person, what do we do? So we have this beautiful noble eightfold path, which is the path of liberation. And this path is um I mean, I always marvel, even after thirty eight years or thirty five to eight years, forty, I mean sort of get blurred into <laughs> the past. Long time, I just find this teaching absolutely amazing. Never seen anything like that ever. The, 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 the way the Buddha mapped out the suffering of the mind, the way the Buddha mapped out the way how to work with the suffering of the mind, and the way the Buddha mapped out the result of working with the suffering of the mind, and to top it up, the chair as a cherry on the on the cake, he gave us nobody full pass, so we know how to guide ourselves through life. And you know, besides experiencing awakening when we suddenly see dukkha in lay life or in a monastery, there's another thing that brings you to the dharma, brings us to the dharma. That other thing is, I think the wish to be a virtuous person. I know this is what took bring, brought me to Dhamma. I was much 
too addicted to sense pleasure to be able to have any chance to be a virtuous person. <laughs> I would have probably died long time ago because I really enjoy sensuous sensory pleasures. And so I was really thinking at that time, I was thinking, how am I going to deal with that, you know, because it's so addictive to experience sensory pleasure. And I realized I need some help. <laughs> as simple as that. I need some help. What am I going to do? And it's interesting how with the, the, when you give some food to the mind to work with, you get a lot of help. It's really supportive. The mind supports that search, you know. So, the purity of the mind is already felt at that moment, you know, when we look for this aspect of what we call sila, virtue. I talk about this because really the Noble Eightfold Path is made of sila samadhi panya, virtue, meditation, and wisdom. In fact, when you read it on paper, it starts with uh, uh, wisdom, and then it continues with, with um, virtue, and then it ends with meditation. So, wisdom, virtue, meditation, on, in the book, that's how it's written. But it's often referred to as Sila Samadipanya also. And it's interesting because some forest monk in Thailand, through very uh, experienced meditators and teachers, insisted themselves that it should start with wisdom, which it does, you know. But like in Thailand, people just heal up Samadipanya quite automatically. But it's actually wisdom, um, virtue, and uh, meditation. Sila Samadhi, okay, virtue, Samadhi, meditation, and ends with wisdom. Are you following me? Or are you completely confused? But anyway, those three aspects are there. And they work together completely. They actually completely accompany each other all the way. So let's say if you are more aware of your um, sort of ethical life, then you would see that it improves your quality of your emotional body quality. It improves your sense of peacefulness. It improves a sense of confidence as well that you have this goodness in yourself that can be nurture, nurtured and becoming better. You can have a becoming of working. The whole practice is an aspect of becoming, isn't it? In the practice of meditation, you don't become anywhere or you don't become anything. You're here now, okay? But in terms of walking the path, you're becoming, learning through practice, through skills to become a more virtuous person by keeping your precept, one thing, but also deepening the understanding of precepts. Precept is not just the simple sentence that I know take the precept to refrain from destroying or uh, harming any living creatures. The first thing I knew for me when I took the precept the first time, suddenly, just a couple of weeks later, I started asking myself, hey, wait a minute, you don't, you don't harm anybody out there, you don't kill anybody, or you will never do that. But what do I do with my feelings? Why do I do with my ideas about myself, about others? Are they really uh, beneficial to other people or to myself? So I harm, you know, with my thoughts. You understand? There's many ways of harming, hurting, unskillful action and speech and thought that are harmful to oneself and others. So you can deepen, you know, it's lifetime work, really, till your last breath. People say to me, how long does it take to really know about meditation? I say, just go till you die. <laughs> Don't worry, just keep going. Keep going. Don't get into any doubts, just keep going. <laughs> keep going until it's finished, you know. You'll know, I'm sure one knows when it's finished. <laughs> We've seen a few of those finished minds you know, in our circles. It's not particularly exciting, an arahant, you know, 
it's just very peaceful <laughs> and he's got you know he or she is very free and very happy person there's one michi who's supposed to be an arahant in thailand you know she was kind of uh, highly respected by the most famous forest masters of the tradition of thailand Meiji Kao. There is a book in, you know, one of the monk, one of the senior monk, American monk, actually, wrote her biography. Just for you, in case this is for the gender issue, consensitive. <laughs> so she was considered an arahant. So this path, Sila Samadhi Panya, Panya Sila Samadhi. Samadhi is a word from concentration, but actually it covers meditation, which is effort, concentration, and mindfulness, right? This is the path of hope, I would think. This is a path that takes us to be free. So it's very important to study those teachings, those Four Noble Truths, because even though they sound very simple, and I understand why Achen Sumedu made it his teachings all his life. That's all he talked about, the Four Noble Truths. I mean, he did talk about other things as well. But the Four Noble Truths was absolutely the center of his practice. And being a student of his, for me, I also applied this as a center of my practice because I knew about suffering. And the thought of ending suffering was really attractive. But now, with wisdom, which is different we're just, than just wanting to end suffering so I can't get rid of it, you know, it's different. To be able to work with suffering with wisdom, understanding, and the development together with compassion, loving kindness, skillful action, skillful speech, it's a very wonderful process of realizing that you can, in this lifetime, see the Dhamma in action and see the beauty of its results. It, you have to be courageous because in a way you don't get the fruits without going through the, the part of the mind that was really unhappy and miserable. People tend to want to pay, you know, maybe $10,000 and get instant enlightenment course. That's more attractive. But even those who claim instant enlightenment, the work is not finished. Do you understand? It doesn't, it doesn't mean because you have awakened and the mind knows what things as they are until you stop experiencing the suffering of delusion that is never finished. Right? So, now I'm going to give you two. A little teaching also of a forest master, which I found when I was in Thailand in the forest, while I was translating his teaching, and I didn't even know, I have no idea what I was, what I was translating. So somebody gave me a, a book that was offered on her uh, brother's funeral. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to take a book offered on a brother's funeral. I was like feeling maybe I should not. I said, don't tell anybody, of course, you know, but I'm not sure I want to read that, you know. And then I started, being a practitioner, I went over my desire not to, and I said, well, let's see what's, you know, and I started translating a little bit of, it was just short text, very easy to kind of handle in a way. And one of the texts I was translating from Thai into English, it was Thai, by the way, doing my exercise, and I was translating, the, so something like that, the mind that goes out is Samudaya, the cause of suffering. The result of the mind that goes out is dukkha. The mind that sees the mind, okay, is a path, maga. And the result or the fruit of the mind that sees the mind is niroda, or you could see even nibbana, even momentary nibbana, okay. So that was, a, for me, I got, not half enlightened, joke, joke, but it was really uh, an, enlightenment, an enlightening moment. I remember 
because, um, you know, sometimes as a practitioner, you may have questions like, you know, people talk to you, am I on the path? Am I following the path or not the path? Am I on the path? I'm off the path. Have I lost it? You know, this kind of question come up. And then the mind seeing the mind is a path. Do you understand? You are actually developing the path right now by the mind seeing the mind. Okay? You've seen your mind today. Who hasn't seen their mind today? Anybody? Sure? Not even a little bit of forgetfulness? No. Okay. You see, you're pretty advanced already. <laughs> but we don't know these things, do we? We don't know that just as something simple as the mind seeing the mind is a path. We go off the path when we lose our attention and our mindfulness. Because the real path is the awakening mind, you know, the awakening heart. Okay? That's what is really on the path. That's the path itself. That's why it's so important to be on the path. The path is not something beside you that you're walking on. It's the mind itself that you are live with and you are leading your life through this mind. It leads you to hell or it leads you to heaven. You never know, depending on the causes and conditions. But that's what leads you. you know, helps you to walk towards the end of delusion and suffering. So, any questions? Mm -hmm. Any question at all? Sure. I'm not being shy. I'm thinking that you should not ask any question. You have understood everything, in other words, no doubt. No, nothing. Well, that's brilliant. We can stop, maybe. It's only now ten past nine. Not finished yet, sister. We can't. <laughs> I've decided to go a bit longer. So, do you remember I mentioned the Paticca Samupada? Remember that? Who doesn't know the Paticca Samupada? Wow. You don't know. Never mind. <laughs> but the Paticca Samupada and the Full Noble Truth, just I want to tell you something for your practice tomorrow, or tonight, or now. On the Patisha Samupada is a, is a description through 12 links of the arising of suffering. Okay, and the second half, 12 links of the cessation of suffering. How suffering arises, and the second half, how suffering ends. The good news about those 12 links is that as each time you are mindful, you cut the links of more further dukkha. Do you understand? You cut the possibility of suffering more. You stop the causes of suffering by being mindful. Now listen to this, quite important. And then if there is really mindfulness, there is no avijja. Begin with avijja. It's, it's another teaching I will give you sometimes. You begin with avijja, avijja condition, okay? Sankara, mental construction, construct. Anyway, I'll give you the Ajahn Shah version. That's much quicker. <laughs> I will I will go back in details, and I'll use the, uh, the the short version for the link I wanted to talk to you about. So the the uh, Ajahn Shah's version is a wisdom version. It's a version of experience. So Ajahn Shah is like Apatita Samupada. It's like you go up on a tree and then you fall down the tree, and on the way down. You're counting first branch, second branch, third branch, fourth branch, fifth branch. But when you hit the ground, you know it's dukkha. You don't need to have to read more than that. 
you know it's dukkha. So this is a Patisha Sambhupada from the teaching of Lumpocha. <laughs> I like that. For me, wisdom is my way because it simplifies everything. <laughs> okay, erudition seems to complicate everything. But wisdom just seems to kind of, you know, the wise teachers always get these pearls of understanding. So, amongst these uh, these 12 links, there is a particular link which is really relevant for your practice. So, it begins, I just could do it, say it quickly. So, avijja patraya sankara, mental construct. Mental construct, patraya, condition, vinyana consciousness. Vinyana consciousness, uh, salayatana. Does that is it too fast or not? Yeah? Yeah. Um, the sense doors, salayatana condition, contact, sense contact, sense contact condition, um, way, uh, sorry, uh, pasa, yeah, pasa, contact, that's right, uh, pasa condition, vedana, feeling, like, don't like, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, right? You see something? I have, some, I don't know if I remember all the story, but you can really have wonderful stories about this Paticha Sambhupada unfolding in your life. So anyway, we go to the, uh, you know, Vedana, and from Vedana, the crucial point, condition, Tanha, desire. Tanha, it gets thicker, it's thicker, thicker and thicker as you go down. Tanha, condition, Upadana, which means really attachment. Attachment, condition, Bhavwa, you know, when you want a piece of chocolate, you're on the way, you're becoming the chocolate, it's already there. You're becoming, you're becoming. You are eat, it's already eaten almost before you even eat it. You're becoming. And then from becoming, now you're reborn, that's it. You're a human being reborn into chocolate, completely. <laughs> you're reborn. And from from the rebirth into chocolate, it's, a, it's really, I mean, the Buddhist teaching is brilliant, honestly. How we can pick it up and still smile, it's really, a, it's a miracle, do you know what I mean? It's like description of dukkha after dukkha. And then we're still smiling because we know it's freeing of the heart, you know. So he goes down, solo lamentation, grief, pain and despair, and dukkha. So it ends in misery. And you see that many times in your life of a meditator, you know, how many times do you see these patterns activated in your mind? So, this is a great motivation, of course, to get out of these 12 links. But the good news, there was lots of good news on the Buddhist path, is that as soon as you wake up to any links, you are free from the rest down the bottom. So if you wake up to Tanha, or maybe you might want to wake up a little bit before, maybe Vedana. I like, hmm, I want. I don't like, run away. Neutral, or you're just bored with it. It doesn't move you in any way. Right? You don't even notice something neutral. Okay? So, um, So just make sure that when you come to that link between feeling and feeling, just at that feeling, you can see the next movement is, I don't want to, I want. Or you don't even notice the feeling because it's so neutral. It doesn't come out into your field of attention. So this is something you can explore. It's just wonderful exploration to see this moment of Vedana, Tanha. And the Burmese teacher, when I, I did a retreat with a Burmese teacher many years ago, that's what they pointed out, I remember, on this Vipassana retreat I did. Okay, this link, first time I heard it, it was that in the Burmese tradition retreat, where they, they pointed out this uh, Vedana Tanha, Vedana Tanha. And then, of course, after that, we studied the Paticca Samupada with Achen Sumedu for several retreats, a couple of winter retreats. All the, re all the months of the retreat were on the Paticca Samupada. So you can really get a real feeling and real knowledge of what that means and with example and so on. But you, could, you, you can use this um, chain of dependent origination in a very practical way, you know, to understand how things happened, what happened to you. 
yeah, whether you get more attached or non-attached or whatever, but you can really uh, learn to understand how you get into making mistakes in the sense you don't go down the road you want to go down. You end up in a wrong alley, you know, and how you get more kind of successful in a way in your practice. You can get successful in Buddhism, it's okay. You're not going down the wrong way. Your practice can be successful in the sense that you go down the right avenue and you get the right result, the result that this avenue is offering to you. So, for example, you call you generous and kind, then you find that it takes you to more feeling of generosity and kindness, and people in return are kind and generous to you. You know, it's like a complete win-win situation, Buddha Dharma. Win-win. It helps everything, everybody, and it brings happiness to you and to everyone around you. So that's a great gift. Whilst not wanting them to be different from the way they are, because that's not Buddhism, you start wanting them to be your way. That's no good. Whether it's your mum or your children, your dog, your cat or your friends, so you can just be a good example for others without making yourself an example, but you can inspire people just by being an ordinary human being, practicing with an awakened mind, awakened heart. So I think I probably have said enough, right? But don't forget, go to bed, oh, got another day, wow. Feeling the gut in the feeling. Or you might say, great, lovely. And then you go to sleep really with a smile. And oh no, painful knees for 10 days. Now, when you say something like that, just go to the feeling of your body, the emotional body here, and the solar plexus body. Go to that. Rather than say, oh my God, I shouldn't have think like that. You know, Ajahn Sundar said about being positive and skillful and good and all that. So I'm just a hopeless case. <laughs> No, you don't do that. You just now, you can use every bit of your life for enlightenment. So suddenly you go to the feeling. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. It's certainly not neutral right now. It's really unpleasant. And I wish it get out, I would get away, go away really soon. So you're not becoming, you see. Not becoming unpleasant. Don't want to be somebody experiencing unpleasantness. Yet, maybe you have to bear with it. That's the dukkha. Right? You can see it's like an incredible intertwined weaving, everything weaving in each other. It's like, a, a, I don't know how to say it in English, it's like inter, completely interlinked. Everything is interlinked in the Buddhist teaching. You can feel the Four Noble Truths, the Patisha Samupada, the Three characteristic of existence, Anicca Dukkha the precepts, all the precepts are part of the Paticca Samuppada too, if you really look at it carefully. Just about to steal something. Got a feeling, you see something you really like. Feeling. <gasps> I like that. It's really nice. And pleasant feeling come up. Pleasant feeling come up. And then you've forgotten about what I said and Tanha, Vedana, Pajaya, Tanha, and you get it and you've broken your precept. Right? That Tanha, you broke your precept, the second precept, by doing that. Got something in the kitchen that was not offered to you, for example. You're breaking the precepts. Now, it's not a big deal. Don't go, you know, if you've taken anything from the kitchen, don't stop having an awful lot of doubt about, oh my God, spend the whole night wondering whether you took that little bit of crumbs, you know, or you ate that little bit of cakes that belonged to somebody else. <laughs> don't worry about it. Every fortnight, we confess our precept, our transgression of our precept. You know, we're not, nobody has done any, anything particular, but it's just a way, a way of being transparent. 
and accountable okay to each other i love it i think it's a brilliant training because most people you know the mind might be wanting to be transparent and accountable but you don't have the really good conditions for that very often there's so many other feelings that come in the way to have to look good to have to pretend to have to show up to have to you know be somebody you don't want to be but everybody expects that kind of thing it's really hard but anyway i don't want to discourage you now after all trying to inspire you to <laughs> move toward the good you know, to make you feel like if you go back to your lay life, you won't be able to do it. Of course you will. But you have to be brave. <laughs>